nine minutes past nine o'clock and welcome to the Wellbeing Window. I'm joined by uh, Gavin Sharp, UK therapist and business coach. Uh, morning, Gavin. Good morning, Sarah. Now, just before we kick off with leadership and well-being at work, I know you have an event next month at the mm-hmm. Fairmont Hotel on leadership. Uh, can you tell us about the event and what people can expect and why is this topic so important to you? Thank you very much and good morning, as always, to our listeners. Um, yes, we do indeed. On November the 14th, I have teamed up with the leading Monaco estate agent, Savills. Uh, and in conjunction with Club Viva Nova, um, people can expect a three-course lunch. Um, but what I'm really hoping, as well as the lunch that people will come for, is we are going to be talking about leadership and What does it take to be an exceptional leader in these extraordinary times? And I'm going to cover a little bit or as much as I can in the time that's allocated the extent to which leadership has changed. And in a bygone era, you know, leadership was very much about maximizing shareholder value. What made a leader a leader was, I'm in charge, I'm the expert, And I'll tell you what to do. And that was that sort of command and control sort of leadership style. What we now understand, that the world has changed, as we all know, beyond recognition. We're living in a time where we've got global climate change and global inequality. We've come through COVID, the, the geopolitical situation. And so a number of the kind of really important business think tanks and consultancies like McKinsey, for example, they've said that leadership style, actually it's reached its limit. And that kind of command and control style, well, that worked well when we were living in stable times. We're not. We're living in times, and I shouldn't really get political, but when people like Donald Trump can get elected, we're living in very volatile, uncertain times and therefore the question i want to address at the lunch when people have been well fed um, and had some lovely wine is okay well if all that's happened what kind of leadership style is suited for today's climate so very long-winded answer to your question that's the lunch and that's what i'm hoping to cover Okay, so that's on the 14th of November at the Fairmont Hotel. And you can, where can people go to find out more? So if they go to my website, rivierwellbeing.com, and they go to the events page, they can read about the event, and then there's a link. Uh, that will take them directly to be able to to book tickets, and tickets are 65 euros. Okay, for some also wonderful food and wine. Maybe add a bit more wine and you'll have a... (laughs) Leadership loving or something like that. Everyone will just love each other. So that's the art of good leadership for Sarah. (laughs) Serve lots of wine and all the staff will be happy. Okay, so moving on to the topic for this week. It's explaining well-being at work. Uh, Why is this such a hot topic? And can you explain to me exactly what this means, well-being at work? Don't look at me, I don't know. No, okay, so let me start with why it's such a hot topic because the stats are overwhelming about um, what happens when we don't engage with work when we're not happy. So, for example, the World Health Organization estimates that globally we lose 12 billion working days every year because of depression and anxiety. 
there was a recent survey which Sky News had done. And they said 76% of people have been off work due to stress. Um, and I just throw one more stat in there. Um, Deloitte um, did, uh, and I think it was this year, a huge well-being at work survey. Um, and they said that over a third of employees said that their job is negatively affecting their well-being. And, you know, I was just saying before the news, so if we're spending 13 years of our life at work um, and actually our work is making us feel miserable, um, that's pretty alarming. So why is it important? Because we need to do something about this because we can't separate work and our home life. So if um, we are really that miserable going to work then we, ourselves as individuals and companies, we need to address well-being at work in order for us to live more fulfilling lives. And I would define well-being at work as basically all aspects of our working life. So we used to only think about, is the workplace physically safe? Now we're thinking about, how do you feel about work? And it's important because there's a correlation between how productive we are at work and our well-being. So if I'm not happy at work, I'm going to be less productive. So that's why this topic, um, you know, really means so much and it's so relevant because it comes in the therapy room much more than it used to with people sat in front of me talking about toxic workplace, talking about um, a bullying boss, talking about just feeling disengaged at work. Okay, you you just mentioned uh, that we can't separate home from work. Yeah. Now, is that not surely joy, due, due to the dynamics that have changed and outside factors? Like before, you would be in an office, you would go home, you didn't necessarily have a mobile phone, mm -hmm. uh, you weren't able to be contacted 24-7. Is there not a bit of a responsibility on the employee to know when to switch off? Yes, and I think you're right. I think that is one of the one of the big changes. I was just thinking as you were saying that, the amount of times I've texted you on your private mobile <laughs> to say, oh, Sarah, quick question about the show tomorrow. Um, didn't think, you know, maybe it's nine o'clock at night, but there I am thinking about Sarah and the breakfast show, so I send her a text. Um, and I think you're quite boundaried, actually, because I don't think you always reply at nine o'clock at night, so well done to you. Um, but yes, the, the, there is this huge overlap now between I need to be boundary, I need to separate when I'm prepared to look at my phone, um, when I'm prepared to answer emails, and we need bosses to model it. Um, and one of the things I learned, you know, when I was in business, I had my own business many years ago, um, and when we did an employee engagement survey, one of the things that came out is the staff that said, we don't like getting emails on a Sunday. And I said, oh, gosh, I wasn't expecting you to reply. And they said, yes, but if we see something comes through from you, we feel obliged to reply. And it was really helpful feedback because I could still catch up and do my admin on a Sunday morning, but I just wouldn't click send so that it, I would wait because otherwise I got it. It's really stressful. So we as individuals need to be more boundaried and I think bosses need to model what the expectation is. Okay, so you think it's the boss's responsibility? I think it's shared. Yes, right. I, I, I think we I think we share responsibility. Um, look, it makes good commercial sense to for for companies to say I'm partly responsible 
and then yeah, you're partly responsible. So I think it's I think it's a shared responsibility. Responsibility. Okay, and you mentioned just a moment ago toxic being toxic, the workplace being toxic. Uh, can you maybe explain what's meant by that term? Yes, and it has become a a, a really sort of. Um, commonly used term um, and in some respects that's really good because we're becoming more aware a toxic workplace if I go to work and I feel unvalued, if I feel unsafe, if there is demeaning behaviour by my colleagues, by my bosses um, unethical behaviours abusive management, I mean I can remember working for a company when I was much younger and um, my boss threw a hole puncher, like a large hole puncher across the room and literally I ducked and it hit the wall and I didn't think anything of it that was just, you know, he was having a bad day Um, but what happens is these these behaviours they become a cultural norm and what we now understand is that that toxic workplaces, it's the number one reason that people will leave their work because they don't feel safe. They feel threatened. It's not, um, uh, it's just not a safe place to, to, to be at work. Um, and again, if you look at one of the global McKinsey reports, they confirmed that toxic workplace behaviour, it is the largest effect that on, on someone's intent to leave. And it will directly lead to burnout. You know, we've done a show on burnout. And once someone's got burnout, you know, they're likely to be absent from the workplace for, could be three to six months. Okay. And can toxic, uh, can it be like you just gave the example yourself, your own experience that maybe physical violence, or Mm -hmm. can it be um, maybe a a pressure, uh, putting too much pressure? What what exactly would would be considered as as toxic? Yes, I think it could be putting too much pressure. It's someone who, if my workload isn't, I don't feel my workload's manageable. And if, for example, a responsible boss isn't saying, is your workload manageable? Um, or someone who it could be in a non-inclusive environment. I'm, I'm in a, um, a minority, it could be a sexual minority, it could be racial, but I don't feel represented, I don't feel seen. All of that leads to... Um, the, the workplace becoming toxic. So, um, so those kind of, and again, you know, sometimes, oh, I, you know, that company, they just, it's cutthroat, as if that's mm. okay. And it's not okay. And why this is important is because Generation Z, which I often bang on about, they won't tolerate it because they are actually, they're more prepared and Harvard Business Review have, have uh, confirmed this. They'd rather work for less money and be in a happier work environment. So the the whole dynamic of what we want from work is changing. Um, so yes, and I'm, I'm happy, by the way, if any questions have, have come in, I'm, I'm happy to uh, address them. Um, and if not, um, yeah. yeah we, we, we've got a question has come in. Uh, uh, it says, hi, I will be in the car listening. So sending my question in early, came in a bit earlier on. It's not the most original question, uh, but we were discussing this over breakfast the other day when you announced today's topic. You're discussing it with me over breakfast? Oh, no, or, I think oh, in general. Okay, right. Uh, the we, and it all became rather heated over the cornflakes. Now, this was the question, are leaders born or made? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we often get the... the nature or nurture um i would say my definition of leadership is it's not something that um 
we are. Leadership is something that we do because I can be called a leader. You know, my title can be Gavin Sharp Leader, but I can actually demonstrate really poor behavior at leading. So I would say it's a skill that we learn and it's a skill that we develop. Some of us will be more suited to leaders because of the fact that we've developed those skills already in our lifetime. But I would say, no, I don't think we sort of pop out the womb and oh, that's it, there's a good leader. I think it's, it's a set of behaviours based on our mindsets and our thoughts and our beliefs. So you don't think we're not born leaders, we become leaders because it's through what we our experiences in life to make us a good leader. Yeah, pretty or a bad, much. Or a bad leader. Absolutely. Okay. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm a bad, <laughs> bad leader in you. Yeah. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, second question up this morning uh, has come... Hi, Sarah. A couple of questions for Gavin. I saw his social media post too. I'm wondering if there is a leadership style that is emerging as being the most effective in today's workplace. Uh, second question, is there an overlap between therapy and leadership coaching? Does Gavin apply both in his coaching sessions, given his background? Basically, could I get two for the price of one? Go ahead. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> two for the price of one. I like that. That's what I've been reduced to. Um, let me do what the, the first one. was. What was it? The leadership style. Um, I would say that... Um, is there a leadership style that works? I think it's what we were saying, and we'll address this at the lunch. What's changed is this top-down hierarchical, I'm the expert, and I will deliver the instructions downwards to you. So the style is we're moving away from directing and controlling. And what we're understanding now is that leadership is less about execution. It's more about being a, um, a visionary. It's more about... Um, Focusing is not maximizing profits is still important, but actually what's making a leader um, strong today is am I prepared to be vulnerable in the workplace? Can I show compassion at work? Am I able to establish a, a clear and shared purpose? And what I find when I'm coaching leaders is that we've all we tend to rely on what worked in the past that's what we do we've all we go on autopilot especially when stressed so this is what worked in the last crisis this is what i'm going to do now and the problem with that is this crisis what we're living through now is so different that what i what i did in the past probably won't work today you know the famous uh, there's a famous coach called marshall goldsmith and his his one of his best selling books was what got me here won't get me there. So sometimes the leadership style is actually just stepping back and pausing and saying, what's my autopilot? But what does this situation call for? So that's just a clue, I think, to some of the trends that we're seeing and the change in leadership style. Coaching and therapy, um, there is a huge overlap. And I would say many of the best business coaches today have some kind of grounding in psychology. And why do I say in my strapline from bedroom to boardroom? Because it's all the same. I'm working with people. And we put roadblocks in front of ourselves. And what is it that stops me getting promoted? Usually me, usually my lack of self-confidence. And so I'm very clear that when I'm working with someone and I'm coaching them, it's not therapy, we're not looking at childhood stuff, um, but recognizing how that shows up in the workplace, that's really important. So there is an overlap.
Okay, can I put a spanner in the works? Go for it. It's not like you. <laughs> no, no, just Go talking on. about... Here no, she goes, that's it. No, Rip me to pieces. very no. interesting, the leadership style. Yeah. And as you, again, we're talking about how the dynamics have changed and separating home from work life and all the outside factors that we have today, such as social media and, and being able to uh, cut off. Uh, but can a leader, who might be a very good leader, be faced with maybe a new kind of employee that let's face it has maybe a too many ways of i don't know how to put this but might not might actually be toxic themselves mm -hmm. might actually be the toxic person in the group yeah so how does how could that affect a leadership style if you're as a maybe you've got i don't know you're running an office and you've got 80 percent of the you know you're, you're doing a good job when you get the feedback you're doing a good jobby job but maybe you've got that small percentage of toxic employees that mm -hmm. could create, which then your leadership style, whatever it is, is going to go out the window. And I think I think we're probably actually making a very similar point, which is you can't have or have one leadership style. You need to deal with the situation. And if your situation in the past was, um, I don't know, you tend to act quickly and, and, and you lean into the situation... What I always say to leaders is just take a step back. The best leaders are able to emotionally self-regulate. What mm. happens for you when Mary shows up in the workplace and she's behaving like that? What's it like for you? Mm. And um, what does that part of you, does it touch? What's your choice? What are the available responses that you have? Because what tends to happen is we go back to the autopilot. I want her out. Um, I'm just going to sack her. Or, okay, is that really realistic? She's been in the company for seven years. How likely is that as an outcome? So take a step back. What are your options? What is it stirring in you? So that self-awareness becomes really key. And also it's incumbent upon the leader to recognise we don't tolerate that behaviour in the workplace. And so some leaders, you know, one of the... I do a lot of work with law firms. Mm. And law firms are um, historically dreadful at getting rid of bad behaviour if that partner happens to generate a lot of business. So what they say is, look, we know that Fred is really bad um, and everybody in Fred's department, you know, he can't keep anybody, but he happens to bring in 10 million euros worth of business. And... That's the bit that's changing. And law firms are waking up to this that, okay, you either need to coach Fred to be a better leader or you're going to have to do something very oh, different really, here. That, the dynamics of that money doesn't talk anymore? I think it's starting to change because um, that firm is recognising, or those sort of firms are recognising, we can't hire anymore because mm. we've got a reputation. People won't join. So I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think that law firms are getting better. You might be a rainmaker and you might generate a lot of money. This is against our values. This is not what leadership today stands for and will help you change. And if you can't, we'll help you exit. Okay, Gavin Sharp, we're talking leadership and well-being at work. And we'll be back after the new sport and weather. Uh, I'll be asking Gavin whether he thinks uh, there is a stigma about admitting to having mental health challenges at work and how do companies react when staff talk about mental health. 9.13, the new sport and weather is next. The English Breakfast Show is brought to you by Air France. Fly to spectacular destinations around the world. 
The Air France Network accompanies you at every step of your travel cravings to make sure there is no location you cannot reach. Elegance is a journey. Air France. Go to airfrance.fr or in your local travel agency. It's just coming up to quarter to ten. It's the well-being window we're discussing with Gavin Sharp. Leadership and well-being at work. Now, Gavin, just before the news I mentioned, and my next question about how uh, it affects mental health, but just mm. before I go on to that, because in the first part of the show we were talking about well-being at work, and uh, there's a listener that's just said, uh, concerning your comments on who is responsible for well-being at work, I think when I was saying, what if it's toxic employees, uh, this listener just says, maybe I missed the answer, but beyond my legal responsibilities as a boss... Am I responsible when staff stumble in late, hungover, demotivated, dishevelled and barely literate from their previous night out on the town? As a boss, who is meant to support me? Uh, Thank you both from an often frustrated leader. So, you know, the short answer is the person who has arrived in, you know, hungover from the night before is, of course, responsible for themselves. And, um... And as a boss, it is very important that bosses also get their support. What we do know is that the number of COs who um, burn out is increasing and the average tenure of a CEO, I can't remember, Corn Ferry did some research, but it's gone from something like 10 years to six years. So, And that's why a lot more COs work with people like me when I'm wearing my executive coaching hat because they need support. Um, but we go back to that that question of, look, I think it's the best that a boss can do is say, have we done our best to create an environment that makes it easy for people to be emotionally and physically well? And so because it makes good commercial sense, because retention and employer attraction, and hopefully just because of common sense of humanity. So... And I think that's kind of where the responsibility ends. I'm doing my best as an employer that we've we are helping people advise them on their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, but ultimately, of course, each of us is responsible for our own well-being. Okay, well, I hope that answers your question. Uh, so, as I mentioned, uh, do you think there is a stigma about admitting to having mental health challenges at work, and how do companies react when staff talk about mental health? So the news, I think, is mixed, and there is some good news. Um, I think the good news is that um, an increasing number of certainly very large um, law firms and companies are embracing mental health. So um, banks like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, a number of the global law firms, you can get free therapy in the workplace, and not only for yourself, but for your partner. So just the fact that you can announce that, you're already reducing the stigma If you have a problem, um, then um, please seek help. Bosses can model it. Bosses can come in and say, actually, you know, it's a tough day today. I'm still grieving. My goldfish died. Or just, you know, you're sharing this something. You're sharing some vulnerability. The not-so-good news is go back to the McKinsey research, which is that most employees um, don't want people finding out they've got mental health challenges. So still a huge amount of work to be done. I think we are... 
we are scared to seek help at work um and you know what we what what's the goal here the goal is to create what we call psychologically healthy workplaces can i go to work and do i feel that i can disagree with my boss um can i share my opinions without feeling judged you know, all of those things will contribute to my creativity my productivity but if i'm going to work and i don't think that that's the environment and i don't think i can talk about my mental health then um you know we're, we're in bad shape so good news is there are some improvements and the bad news is yes i think on average there's still a stigma Okay, and so what are companies doing or should they be doing to improve a well-being at work? Um, well, um, controversially, what they could do, and some are starting to do, is they can link executive bonuses to work, um, to well-being metrics, so they can actually start to measure it. Um, and there's quite a lot of support for that. There's quite a lot of growing support to actually, for companies to be publicly accountable for well-being. So when I said at the very beginning, it's not just about maximizing shareholder value, that is important, that must still happen, but actually can you make mental health a strategic priority? Are you even bothering to measure um, safety at work, mental health at work? So, you know, there's lots of basic stuff. You can check in with employers about how they're doing, your point about workloads and is your workload reasonable? Um, are you taking sufficient breaks during the day? Um, and just to be more open about well-being with your staff, all of that will contribute to making the workplace feel psychologically safe. Okay, uh, Gavin Chart, we're talking leadership and well-being. We're going to have to take a, a short break and uh, then Gavin will be back to uh, conclude on the last few emails that have come in uh, concerning the subject. Quadro is the specialist in bespoke French interior design, optimising space to make it both functional and attractive. Wardrobes, bookcases, TV stands. Quadro works for the whole home. Let's create your interior together. Quadro adapts to your wishes and your budget. Quadro in Nice. Motorway access exit 52 near IKEA. Far. We're just wrapping up the well-being window with Gavin Sharp. We've been speaking about leadership and well-being at work. Uh, just the last couple of questions that have come in. I'd uh, like to fit them in just before you go, Gavin. Uh, one says, hello, I'm enjoying the topic today. I always enjoy listening, but the business and people angle is great. I'm writing in anonymously and thinking about my boss. Can someone who is a bad leader ever become a good leader? In other words, is there hope? And also, if my boss is a narcissist, is there any hope for my well-being at work? Well, that was an interesting twist at the end. Um, can Yes, I think a bad leader can become a better leader. Um, and it all comes down to definitions. So one of the things I do in my work as a business coach is I'll sit down with both the person being coached and very often the organization and i'll say well what is it going to look like what are the behavior changes when we sit down in three or six months time 
what will someone looking and see that's different? So that's the difference between training and coaching is that we actually get to see some behavioral changes. Um, now, how good good becomes, don't know. That depends on a variety of factors. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a very accomplished tennis player. But if I have some tennis lessons, I can become a better tennis player. And that's what we can do with leaders. Will I ever be able to beat Djokovic? You know, it's hard to say, but I, I think we can assume that probably, probably not unless we blindfold him and, you know, tie his hand behind his back. So we can, we can help leaders become better. If you have a boss that's a narcissist, as people remember, may remember when we did our show on narcissism, that's a tough one because narcissists generally don't want to change don't recognize there's an issue. Um, and so unless you can work with your organization to have work for a different boss, it's unlikely that the narcissist, even with the best coach in the world, is going to truly modify their behaviors. Okay, well, I hope that answers your question. We've run out of time, I'm afraid, Gavin. Uh, but maybe you could just give us the answer to your question at the beginning. Yes, I just was thinking that too. So in the very beginning, just before the news, I said how many employees, and it's pretty much the same stat, whether it's in UK or France, say that they feel burned out from work. And I think I said, is it 5% or 13% or 27%? And uh, Sarah Lysett took a guess and you said... 27 27 percent and i promise i didn't give her the answer but yes well it's um, not a surprise yeah is it? so and it's you know that's quite depressing that you know, nearly... no it's not we've got to look at the positive side you're of right. things come on you're right come you're on. right you see i'm being challenged i'm being challenged <laughs> you feel so safe something enough good out there that you're grateful for everything we've got whatever that might be <laughs> well you could write if a third of us are feeling burned out two-thirds of us are not uh and they're all working at riviera radio <laughs> It's not my boss, it's the others I've got a problem with. <laughs> Gavin Sharp, thank you very much. Thank uh, you. And don't forget, the 14th of November. 14th of November, yeah, I'll remind you on the show next month, but uh, but we do have limited tickets. I, I think the room at the Fairmont, I can't remember exact numbers, but it might only hold about 50 people, and I know where they're starting to sell. So 14th of November, have a look at the events section of my website, and the talk is on how to be an exceptional leader in these extraordinary times. That's the Savile's Leadership Lunch. That is the Savile's okay, Lunch, Okay, yep. sorry, a, a listener has just written in saying, I've just signed up for the Savile's Leadership Lunch. <laughs> is Gavin going to touch on how leaders can manage the hybrid workplace? If not, here's a very cheeky request. Please, canny, as I just bought my ticket. Thank you both. <laughs> P.S. Glad to hear there'll be wine. I told you the wine would work. The wine, the the wine will work. I will briefly address uh, the... Well, to be honest, I haven't even written it yet. But, yes, I will briefly address... Because uh, it is one of the main challenges. We've got people working from home... Banks and companies are still struggling with, do we get everybody back into the office? Do we do two, three days at home? So if I'm a leader, how do I manage when uh, a percentage of my staff aren't coming into the office? They're at oh. home in their pyjamas working from their bedroom or dining room. So yes, thank you for suggesting it. We'll serve wine and I'll address it. Gavin Sharp, thank you very much. Thank you very much.